Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Okay, so if you're running a business, this is the conversation that you need to hear. What if all the work you put in to make a success of your idea took one year before you saw a return? That's okay, right? What about three years? Not sure about that one. What about five years? Get out of town. I'm not waiting five years. Well, in an age of instant online success, going viral, Amazon Prime and anything and everything at your fingertips in an instant. Today's guest, Max Vaughan, shares his story around a startup that took just that. Five years to make a sale. This is all about believing in your product and brand and having a long-term vision for success. And then just turning up every single day to make it happen. Let's go, team. I'm pretty sure my dad comes to a gym somewhere in this building. There are a few gyms on site. We've got about seven or eight, I think. Yeah, Yeah. There's actually Um, a sign outside of this studio saying this is not the gym, (laughs) (laughs) which I found hilarious. Absolutely Uh, hilarious. Right. Yeah, he's 82. I think it's a workout getting up to the relevant floor. It's <laughs> amazing, that is. <laughs> but here we are. Here we go, here we go. Another day, another episode, Sam. Yes. Um, are you all right? I'm you very okay, good. Hun? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Ready to go. Yeah. And yeah, we've had some incredible guests recently. It's been, it's been bonkers, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Really good. Rearing. Really good feedback. Yeah. Um, really positive. People have been share- People have been doing what you've asked them to do, yeah, which is doing all the clickety things. Stuff. Yeah, they've been. We had some more reviews. I haven't looked. I have not looked. Need to we check need on to, that. We'll check on that for the before the next episode. Yes. We'll see if people have listened to your <laughs> to your little rant. My gripes. Um, I feel like I've sat down and not checked everything, and we've got. A, no, we're left, good. We're smooth. I left a camera on overnight last night, so it was like heating this morning. I was like, oh, but we should. We're be living fine. there. We're living we there. Should be fine. Um, but today's yes. like it feels like we've, we're stepping into something a little bit different today. Yes, we've always talked on this podcast about listening to people outside of your industry, and mm-hmm. we've had people that have kind of fallen just outside of that circle of our industry. Yeah, a few times, and those conversations have been amazing. Not to put any pressure on, uh, <laughs> but they've been great, haven't they? Yeah. And today it feels like we're going even further, even further. out of yeah. that kind 100%. of comfort zone of circle or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. 
And even it's a bit of DIY going on above, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> straight away. The mic's covered. We're fine. We're fine. Hear it. Um, last night, my mind was just absolutely racing. It took me a while to go to sleep, literally because I'd done so much research. And your world, Max, is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So we can't wait, really, to. Well, we both like deep. whiskey as well, don't we? Indeed. So, so, it's, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, <laughs> that's, that helps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're just we're really excited. So Max Vaughan today, who uh, owns White Peak Distillery. Yeah, indeed. Great yeah. to have you here. Thanks, come, guys. You come just down the road, really, from a, another World Heritage site to this World Heritage site. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of an extension of each other. We're both sort of sitting on the river in that zone that yeah. goes from the, the Museum of Making in the centre of Derby all the way to Arkwright's yeah. Mill in Cromford. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's really good. Um, and just before we actually jump in, are we going to I wanted to podcast? say that <laughs> we are another idea. <laughs> a, a podcast for creatives. And entrepreneurs that want to level up their business. Yes, yes, we are. Um, so, where do you want to start today? First of all, uh, how how did you even get into the world of whiskey, Max? That's 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 the thing, really, because it's very specific and there's truly an art to it as well. So, how did you start? Yeah, so um, I mean, I have a lifelong whiskey fan, essentially. Um, so that's kind of a good place to start, yeah. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, say lifelong, certainly adult lifelong, um, and. Probably something like 12 years ago, I met someone that was starting an urban craft whiskey distillery. And I got home that night and I, and I had a, literally had a conversation with Claire, my, my wife, and said, wow, uh, there's some guy I've just met that's starting a whiskey distillery. And I thought they had to be in Scotland. And of course, that's nonsense. <laughs> and maybe we should look at doing that. You know, it sounds really exciting. Um, what, what, were you do, what were you doing before that? What was your, I mean, your line of work? Not, not, what were you not yeah, doing? Yeah, That's... Not at all relevant, really. So I wor- I'd got, um, and I, I'd spent a, like 20 years on, you know, with a sort of a, 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 a career paying kind of day job. Yeah. Um, that actually I'd, I'd loved over time, um, but working for, big organizations by and large uh in the world of finance yeah uh, kind of generally rbs uh, right yeah i work for rbs uh you know i trained as an accountant actually yeah, in it. this area Honestly, you're going to creep people out soon yeah, I, know, you, I, know, I, know, I know i know like doing your um, i know it all um which <laughs> you've had a private investigator outside your house the last two weeks <laughs> there's me outside your house <laughs> But actually, interestingly enough, even with that background of kind of analysing, you know, numbers and forecasts mm-hmm. and financial risk, we still decided to start a whiskey distillery, yeah. which, uh, you know, it's, it's hard yards in the, in the early years. Um, it's been you know, amazing fun. But yeah, the, the, it, the background is I was a huge whiskey fan. Uh, Claire and I sort of reached a point in our lives where I think we felt we wanted to do something together. Um, and uh, eventually, and it wasn't overnight, it probably was a four or five year kind of decision, um, wow. thinking about it, trying to build up a, a plan, you know, what's the size of the ask, all of those things, because we're not from a drinks or spirits background. Uh, but eventually in 2015, we just, decided and it, it was a a decision that look 
we could carry on nursing this dream forever and a day uh, or we could just get on with it um, and it it, it was kind of full of unknowns and uncertainties about the future. But I think certainly from my point of view, there was a sense in which I was probably more, um, I was more kind of anxious about getting to 70 years old and not having given it a go yeah. Yeah. than having given it a go. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh, so we just thought, we actually didn't think what's the worst that can happen. It was more of a perspective, what's the best that can happen? Yeah. And I think when you start in your own business, you know, I that's the kind I of mindset. I think straight away as well, it's really reassuring to hear that you didn't have it all figured out and you didn't know what was going to happen. I think one common misconception is that so many people expect these businesses or people that are running these businesses to think that they just know what they're doing and it's all mapped out, it's yeah. planned, it's going to be a success because of this, this and this. And actually you, you can't yeah. go into it. No, no, definitely you know, not. A bit blind and... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like other events that you may or may not have in your life, uh, you know, children, for example, there's never a perfect timing. No. And if you kind of waited for the perfect timing, then, you know, that probably, would, you might, that would probably yeah, wouldn't happen. You might miss it, yeah. Um, and, you know, business is uh, is hard. If it was easy, uh, everyone would do it. Uh, so the kind of sense in which there's a, a roadmap that you just walk along and, you yeah. know, things happen is, yeah. yeah it, I mean, obviously, you know, you, like can, you can plan and prep for things, can't you? Yeah. There's a, there's a massive um, sense of uncertainty. Yeah. And, and, and walking into the unknown and just kind of, kind of go, okay, we're going to just have to figure this out as we go a little bit. Yeah, I, I think, and, and, you know, plans are a good thing. I think the, you know, certainly our plan has changed a lot and continues to do so, but at least having a plan, you've given something, some thought, yeah. if, if circumstances work out differently, then you can look back at that and say, well, you know, how is it we've ended up here when we thought we'd be over there? okay, yeah, these are things that have happened. And actually now that makes some sense and we've got that experience, let's kind of fine tune our plans. So, yeah. I, I mean, certainly ours are dynamic. Any yeah. major sort of like rerouting that you've done over the years that you thought initially was, you were dead set on it and... <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, in the main, we've, we've always had a kind of strong sense of what our core focus has been. Uh, and I think the there's other businesses use this phrase but you know do one thing well is something that we've uh, never lost sight of uh and uh we like many businesses though we've you know we've had to kind of pivot and adapt because of the pandemic so uh, for example in 2020 we went from being a, a sort of a business with a very modest amount of uh direct consumer sales through our website to one that became 80% of our sales were through our website. So that required us to look mm. at a whole load of operational things a lot more differently than we had before. Um, but it's been a good thing for the business because it just forced us into an area which if you're making a product that you're trying to sell to consumers, uh, you've got to be up to speed with these days. So yeah. I think that was just a, an accelerated learning curve brought about by the pandemic wasn't a major change in direction yeah. but just something that we had to cope with yeah let me just um let's just rewind the clock a little bit so you were what like 12 years old when you got hooked on whiskey <laughs> um why why whiskey what what is it that um what is it that kind of got you into whiskey and, and how has that kind of that passion sort of grown before you got to doing what you do now which yeah is uh so my dad's a uh 
has always loved whiskey. So there's definitely an influence there. Uh, I don't think I was breaking his bottles open at 12, but probably <laughs> somewhere around about 18. And, and to be honest, I, I think 18, I'm not sure I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, mm, because it. it's a kind of uh, spirit that you, know, you need to spend a bit of time with. Yeah, yeah. And also I think your taste buds develop as you get older in a different way. Um, so yeah, my dad's always been there as a kind of whiskey fan, and that's that's definitely had a kind of just a, a major influence on you know why I like whiskey. Um, and then I ended up at a period of time working for a Scottish bank, and it was almost like every single event that we ever laid on or went to, uh, it involved whiskey. <laughs> yeah, and so that kind of helped my interest in whiskey start to grow. Um, you know, not kind of between nine and five, but you know, generally yeah. kind of in the evening. Um, and 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 at the same time, I started to visit whiskey distilleries and just get a bit more uh, interested. Not not necessarily in a really geeky way, but just how how is whiskey made? And they're they're really interesting places to visit. Yeah, partly because many of them, certainly the Scottish ones, are just steeped in all this history, uh, which I found fascinating. Um, and I think the other thing which um, it's hard to kind of characterize, but whiskey's a product when you're making it that you've got to put your kind of heart and soul into and really sort of believe in what you're doing for the long term because you don't have a short feedback cycle. You know, no one tells you about the whiskey you made yesterday in mm. six months' time. You'll get that feedback in five, six, yeah. seven, eight years' that time. That blows my mind. Yeah. But, yeah. But, and it's so. In this kind of modern world where I guess we're all getting a little bit more used to, you know, ordering goods and services yeah. on Amazon and yeah. receiving them the very next day. In it an hour. Be, yeah, it, it, you know, it couldn't yeah. be any different. And I think there's a certain kind of, um, there's a certain kind of honesty um, yeah. and, uh, you know, romance about that side of the whiskey business, yeah. which, uh, you know, definitely, you know, I find, um, kind of I've always found kind of attractive and really I'm, interesting I'm really fascinated by the complexities of whiskey and there are certain like I don't I I mean I'm sure there are podcasts around whiskey tasting and that we're not going to go into it too much but can you just kind of give us a bit of an overview or insight into just how diverse whiskey can be so like from my experience like bourbon is like the entry it's the entry drug isn't it bourbon whereas then you kind of move over to like the really peaty kind of I don't even know, almost like medicinal kind yeah, of taste yeah. of whiskey that I yeah. I can't get my head around yet. Yeah. Not there, but... Yeah, and I, get, I think you're right. Diverse. I think at a certain age, uh, certainly, you know, in, in certain bars, people's introduction to whiskey may well be through, you know, JD and Coke. You know, yeah. we don't need to mention too many <laughs> brands. But, um, but at the end of the day, bourbon, which Jack Daniels isn't actually, it's Tennessee whiskey, but bourbon, as you mentioned, is just a form of whiskey. Mm. Uh, it's a form of whiskey that they make in America and they make it from different grains to what we typically use in the UK. Um, so to make bourbon, you need to use corn or a minimum 51% corn. If you come to the UK and you're making single malt whiskey, which is what we make, yep. then it's 100% barley. Um, and so those two big changes in ingredients are going to make a significant difference. Um, but yeah, if you look at the history of whiskey, the Irish and the Scots kind of between them, I think both lay claim to having kind of invented <laughs> this. Um, but it goes back, you know, more than 400 years. And actually, I think if you if you do dig around and I at some point you can disappear down one of those kind of wormholes, you'll find that there was lots of places in Europe making some sort of eau de vie, uh, so spirit from whatever their 
you know the local kind of fermentable yeah. source of you know grain or or fruit was yeah and i think it, it just became an extension of that and then over time people almost discovered that if you put this uh this kind of eau de vie into an oak barrel then it starts to take on some of the flavor and characteristics of that oak and actually in many ways becomes a, a better and more palatable and more interesting yeah. spirit uh, but that was almost like an, an accident that happened over time. Mm. Certainly, if we were having this conversation 400 years ago, we'd be talking about raw, unmatured spirit that, by and large, people were drinking to get, you know, kind of blind drunk on. That yeah. was the, yeah. uh, you know, that was this, the... Igor might have a go at me for this. Like, it might be like a ridiculous <laughs> question. Why have you asked that sound? But like, where's no. the term like scotch come from in, in the whiskey kind of... Yeah, and so, yeah, like, and it's... Um, how does that tie into whiskey? Yeah, so, you know, we come up across across that quite a lot because we're an English distillery. Um, but Scotch whiskey um, is a uh, is, is the biggest biggest whiskey in the world in terms of, you know, volume that's made, um, certainly in terms of uh, malt whiskey and blended whiskey. And, but... To call it Scotch whiskey, there's certain rules and regulations. Right, and one okay. of them is, yeah. you know, your distillery has to be in Scotland. And there's right. a bunch of other things. So Scotch specifically refers to whiskey that's been made in Scotland. Uh, but it's become a, a term that some people use. And I guess you see it quite a lot in the in the North American market where people refer generically to whiskey, to whiskey as, as Scotch. As Scotch. That's yeah. it. And, it's, you know, a parallel perhaps in a totally different world would be people refer to vacuum cleaners as Hoovers. Well, Hoover's just a brand. Yeah. Um, you know, the vacuum cleaner yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Um, and there's those kind of parallels between yeah. whiskey and scotch. Yeah. But yeah, so scotch is whiskey that's been made in Scotland and adheres to some other rules that they, yeah. uh, they police, you know, yeah. quite strongly. And you produce a single malt? We produce single malt. So we're using uh, English barley. Uh, it has to have been malted before we make our spirit from it. Uh, but single malt um, means essentially two things in the UK. Uh, it means it's been made from barley or malted barley, and it means it's been made at a single distillery. Um, so if you're ever drinking single malt, you know th those are two things that apply if it's been so, produced in the UK. Sam. So, Igor. <laughs> Studio Ninja. Yeah, let's just talk, let's talk a little bit about our sponsor. And I was wondering about what we need to say in this little section, because I really want to talk about just how vital it is to my business. And yeah. one thing that came up recently was, in my own business, was that I was thinking about whether I need to get a VA on board. Mm -hmm. Like, do I need somebody that's going to help me just, you know, perform some of the admin tasks? And when I looked at it, and I re it really boiled down to what do I need somebody on board for, I realised that I don't actually do much admin. Yeah. And I don't do much admin purely because of Studio Ninja. Yeah. Everything's automated. Yeah, my invoices, my diary, my questionnaires that I send out. Email templates. Cha email templates, chasing up invoices. You know, everything's fully automated to the point where it doesn't take a huge amount of my time anyway. So it kind of defeats the whole point of a VA. So for me, it is a very integral part of my business. Yeah. And I think when you're running a business, you're self-employed like we are, mm -hmm. you know, being efficient, yeah. being productive, making sure that things run in the right order. If you find yourself doing any kind of repeat task, you have to say to yourself, why am I repeating this? Automate it. Um, and if you can automate it, then that's it. And that's really where Studio Ninja fits in with me and my business. And they have very kindly given us a discount code, haven't they, for this podcast? So yeah. what's that discount code, Igor? Another idea. And another idea gets you 50% off your first annual subscription. Yeah. So 
it's just a no-brainer. I mean, I wouldn't even be hanging around. Just go and look at Shooting Ninja. Just go and do it right now. But thank you very much, guys, for sponsoring this podcast. We love you. We appreciate you. Keep it up. We love Studio Ninja. I think that it's quite incredible just hearing you talk because um, there's clearly an art to it, um, pretty much like cooking. So how do, how do you even sort of like begin the process in terms of like what your recipe is going to be and does it change from time to time and depending on i don't know the circumstances of 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 the resources that you can actually get and how how do you even go through that through that process of decision because it must be quite creative and yeah yeah, uh, yeah no absolutely and it's it, um we spoke about it earlier the one of the challenges with whiskey is the feedback loop is enormously long and so there's no sense in which you know, you're making something today. If it doesn't work by the end of April, we'll just change direction and do something slightly different. Yeah. Um, so, you there's a there's a certain kind of um, I guess override of um, just thinking about how things will work and and trying to just have um, a little bit of kind of caution, I suppose, to some extent, because you could completely rip up the rule book and try whole loads of you know wacky things. Um, but you may end up with a terrible spirit down the road. So th- there's a few things that we've really focused on in terms of our USP around flavor. But, but backing up, what we did was in 2017, we had a small, almost like test laboratory on site whilst the main distillery was being built. Uh, and we were doing uh, lots of small samples of um, unmatured spirit, but using different types of of barley because there are different strains out there uh, different types of yeasts to create the alcohol from the barley um, and then running our small still our test still in different ways and so we came up just with a, a whole library of different types of what you call new make spirits i.e you know, freshly distilled spirit not matured and then we kind of worked out what we preferred amongst that range but then you need to think, well, how's that going to behave when you put it in a barrel yeah, or a, a cask? I think for, that, that for three, four, how, five how, years. Yeah, how long? What is the turnaround time from 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 putting it in the cask to bottling? What is that period? Yeah, time? so the minimum period in in the UK, and these these rules um, are, are, have been in place in Scotland for many many years. Yeah. We're just starting to establish some rules in England, um, but essentially it's three years. Uh, and there's actually an, there's an overarching EU rule as well that says you can't sell a spirit in the European Union and call it whiskey unless it's been matured for at least three years um, in a cask or yeah. a barrel. So you put all that work in and you have to wait three years before you get any return on that yeah. investment. Yeah. How, do you, how do you sleep? <laughs> but badly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, it does. It goes against everything, doesn't it? Yeah. In business, that we're all kind yeah, of yeah. conditioned to think. Yeah, it's like it. I need to get a return on my investment. Yeah, you know? yeah, it, it's it's it, it's difficult. So obviously, mm. you need to factor that period into your plan. Uh, you know, as a business, your kind of financial plan. Um, and three years is the minimum. So mm. you, you then decide as a distillery whether you think uh, barrel number ten is okay after three years or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all likelihood, you're going to leave it and longer. What, what are the differences if you leave it between three and seven years? What's how does that impact the whiskey? What? Yeah. So the what happens is the spirit um, will certainly get more extract from the um, let's say it's oak, and most uh, most whiskey is matured in oak barrels or casks. It'll get more a- extract from the oak. So and that's things that people who you know, drink wine will be familiar with. Yeah. So vanillins and tannins and wood sugars. Yeah. Um, so that, that changes over time. And then also 
the, the barrels or casks themselves are they're kind of watertight. Um, obviously, we're not putting water in them, but they're watertight, but they're not airtight. So they breathe. Mm. Uh, and essentially, you can almost picture it like a set of lungs. So at certain types of the year, the lungs are breathing in, the wood's breathing in, and it's kind of soaking up the spirit into the wood fibres of the oak. And at other times of the year, it's breathing out, and it's basically pushing that spirit back into the, you know, the inner oh, sanctum oh, of the barrel. Um, and that, that kind of activity uh, starts to uh, change and generate flavours uh, from the spirit that you've put in there in the first place. So it's not a, an inactive process. Yeah. The, the casts and the barrels are active across seasons and then across time durations. Um, and then there's a whole range of things that you can then start to do um, after these the spirit spent a number of years in a in in a particular barrel cast. So, j just just one example, uh, we've uh, we've got a new release out today, um, and the whiskey spent equal amounts of time in an ex bourbon barrel and in a port cask. Uh, so, the the spirit that we made, the new make spirit, went into an ex bourbon barrel for two years, and then we took that spirit out and after two years right it's not whiskey yeah it's still maturing spirit and then we put that into a bourbon cask and left it in there for broadly speaking another two years so this um, spirit, we've cancelled this afternoon's guest <laughs> we're, we're, going, we're going over to we're we going over we're going over to works where we're going to go and uh, <laughs> so that's just one example but there's so there's so many um sort of different areas that yeah. you can look at in terms of flavor in terms of you know the what whiskey we're going to put in a bottle so yeah. it, 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 it people tend to think about the spirit going into a cask and that being its only life journey um, and it's not yeah just the science of it, it just it's, fascinates me yeah and I think something that uh, I found quite fascinating um, with you guys at Ypeak, in, in terms of how you do your casking, it's quite, well, I've never heard of it really. It's quite unique, really, the way you sort of like the top end of it, it's sort of like might be French, whereas the, the middle might be, talk to me about STR, because yeah, just so we, I just want to know more. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this is getting quite geeky now, but <laughs> okay. I, I'm, 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 I'm good with that. So. So one of our uh, cast suppliers are based in Porto in Portugal. Um, for those that don't know, that area of Portugal, there's a lot of wine grown. He and, knows. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Douro... Portuguese. So, yeah, yeah, okay. So the Douro Valley uh, and obviously the port yeah. houses themselves. Um, but this, um, the cooperage we go to, family owned called the, the Diaz family, fourth generation, you know, lovely people, lovely business. Uh, and we went to visit them in 2017 and just to understand their operations and then started to have a discussion with them about the, the kind of casts they could supply. Um, and, you know, over lunch, one of the discussions was, well, if we're um, refurbishing these casks, which is what they do to provide this kind of STR cask, STR stands for shaved, toasted and recharred. Um, there's no reason why we can't swap a few elements of the original cask out. Um, and so what we ended up doing saying well okay well that's interesting so we can start with something that was 100 percent american oak and change some elements to introduce some french oak and they said yeah yeah we can do that so we just wow. said well, let, well yeah fine well, let's do that we'll it's order like a massive mix and match yeah. in order to kind of like get your yeah 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 well so and so we just thought well we'll order a few of those and see how they work out it just goes to show doesn't it the influence of the the material that you're putting your yeah whiskey in it's, yeah. it must be 
yeah. I suppose from a, an outsider's point of view, like they probably just overlook that part. Yeah. For you, it's very clear that that's almost integral to. It is. What I mean, makes your what yeah. makes your whiskey. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really that kind of wood program or cast selections are really important part of the the kind of whiskey making process. I think one of the things that for us we view differently. Uh, and, I, and I'd say that about craft whiskey generally, the more modern uh, kind of uh, craft whiskey distilleries is we're trying to look at the whole whiskey making process in terms of where we can add flavor. Uh, so mashing, fermentation, distillation, the type of barley we're using, the type of yeast we're using. But then at the end of it all, the cask is certainly important. There's been an historical view, I would say, that the flavour in whiskey is all about the cask. Mm -hmm. And we would not agree with that. The the cask is important, but it's just part of this kind of continuum of trying to generate flavour. And so, yeah, so the SDR cask, the American oak with French oak heads, it was a bit of an experiment. And we we bought some, we filled them. Obviously, we were sampling as these things were maturing. And a year in, actually, some of those kind of, uh, experience we thought actually we're not as keen on this as we thought we might be okay. mm-hmm. so the next time we ordered we didn't order any more of those another year later when we went back to those original casts to try them after two You're years like, cool. we were like oh wow this is oh. like you know man from heaven get on the phone yeah we should have ordered some more so you know there's definitely that kind yeah. of voyage of discovery yeah. uh, in whiskey which just it keeps it really interesting for us yeah I can imagine yeah yeah that that, that anticipation level must be pretty high when you get to four or five years down your line and you're like oh, it's time to time to see what we've got yeah yeah, yeah absolutely I and mean, we because we do sample and test as we're going along by the time we hit year five you know it's not a complete surprise to us it's not like a ta-da kind of yeah. moment when we sort of open up a cask um but there's still you know changes in the in yeah. the whiskey's journey uh but we feel like we've built up a, a good understanding now after five plus years yeah. of uh, how our spirit behaves in certain different, you know, cask environments. So is that five years now where you've started to generate some some income? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we started the business in February 2016. We released our first whiskey last February, so February 2022. So in terms of our core product, we didn't have any for six years. Um, but last year was the first year that we were selling whiskey on a on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was a great year for the for, for the business, but just for us to get to that point yeah, where yeah. people could taste our main product. Am I right in thinking that the first the first bottle that you guys sold was something was auctioned for something ridiculous like nine grand? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, and and we didn't see a penny of that, uh, <laughs> which w- was always intended. So th- there's a there's a market uh, uh, there's an auction market for whiskey, which th- there's some. Pros and cons. If you're a you know if you're a producer, but let's not get into that. But one of the things we decided early on was for our very first release, and and it it wasn't just our first release. It was the first whiskey that ever been made in the Derbyshire and Peak District region. Come on, what an achievement! Well done. Thank you. Incredible. <laughs> we would keep back um, bottle numbers one to twelve. Most of our releases, the bottles are individually numbered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is all doable these days with digital printing. So we kept that bottle number one to 12 with a plan that we we would at one point during the year have a chat with an auction house um, and put them up for auction with a view to raising money for charity. Uh, so we we th- th- those 12 bottles went to an auction house in August. So that was kind of six months after the release. 
Um, yeah, and bottle number one went for a hammer price of actually almost ten thousand pounds. It's amazing. And by the time you add on the kind of the buyer's fees, yeah. Um, anyway, the, the, across those twelve bottles, I think we raised nearly sixteen thousand pounds, and that money went to by well, two charities. It went to the the Peak District National Park and Derbyshire Wildlife Trust, and we kind of amazing. split it uh, equally. And those are two charities that we where we are is sort of in Ambergate on the River Derwin and in this you know beautiful county we live in we feel a real connection with and we just thought this whiskey can can do some good somewhere on a you know with some of the local pro- projects um and uh you know otherwise we wouldn't put our whiskey on an auction website because mm-hmm. uh, really we want our whiskey to get to people who enjoy whiskey and enjoy drinking it and can just pay the the sticker price to us and don't have to pay inflated auction prices. Mm. But for those 12 bottles, we thought, look, let's try yeah. and make as much yeah. money as we can exactly. from that for and, good causes. And from a, market, from a marketing point of view as well, it's it's excellent really, saying. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously that wasn't lost on us. Um, you know, as we sit here today, to the best of my knowledge, it's still the highest auction price that's ever been achieved for a bottle of English whiskey. Yeah, um, yeah so So we got some... Uh, yeah, we certainly got some kind of recognition and some publicity around that, which is is great when you're trying to grow your business mm-hmm. and get more brand awareness out there. Yeah, can you talk to us about setting up a distillery? Like, where where do you even begin, um, and how much money do we need when me and Igor <laughs> when me and Igor move into whiskey making? Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'll, I'll answer that slightly in reverse. <laughs> I would say it's a bit like any kind of uh, big project. It's almost like think of a number and double it. Okay. Uh, so it's it's that kind of that kind of you know, there's going to be costs along the way that you hadn't yeah. necessarily anticipated. The other thing with with setting a whiskey distillery, you've got those upfront costs of, of building your distillery. You then got all the working capital costs of making whiskey that you can't sell for. That, so that minimum years, of three years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in essence, if you look at those two things, the upfront capital costs and the working capital you need, it's a similar number. Um, and then it depends on scale. Uh, so then it's a function of, are we happy with this being a kind of like a, a kind of cottage industry type business yeah. and just, you know, in our case, maybe just, you know, Claire and I, that would, we would have been the only two employees or do you want to build something that's slightly bigger? Um, and that range is absolutely enormous. Um, but I would say of the of the kind of established English whiskey distilleries that are producing a reasonable commercial volume, people have invested between five and 10 million pounds, I would say of that order, um, to build the distillery and to build up their stocks of whiskey. Um, and some will have invested many more. Mm. Um, in terms of how you start, I, I think, um, it's uh you know I guess like anything you kind of there may be some things you know and then what I what I did and what you know Claire helped me with was we then just got on the phone a lot and started to say you know things like well we're thinking about starting this whiskey distillery we know nothing about this area but someone has suggested we speak to you and what we found was that uh, in the whiskey industry and business people were very generous with their help. Uh, I think in large parts it's a really hard thing to be successful at um, and so we got lots of good advice and one phone call then may have spawned you know three other contacts yeah. and and just building up this picture um, but I think like lots of things in life you've then got to sieve that for what you think makes sense for your business 
because uh, there'll always be people out there that have got good advice and maybe um, things that they think you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you've got to work out, you know, what of that advice do you think is relevant to you? What are you going to kind of cherry pick? Um, but that's what we did uh, essentially for, in our case, it, it was literally four or five years building up this picture. Claire and I were both still working full time. We got three relatively young kids. So we were just trying to build up a sense of, you know, how do we go about doing this? Um, and yeah, taking, you know, advice and just information where we could. Yeah. You must be really good at business in order to convince investors to invest in you for a product that you're not going to be able to see for like three to four, five yeah. years. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, taking me out of the equation, I think a lot of uh, startups, if you're raising money uh, from outside investors, people invest in the founders. Uh, yeah, obviously, the, the, the underlying business plan yeah. has got to make some sense mm -hmm. to them. But it could be, you know, an absolute five-star bells and whizzes business plan. But if they don't think you as a founder or you yeah. as a group of founders can deliver on that plan, they're not going to give you their money. Uh, and so I think at that stage, people invest in people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, it's really it's very clear already, having only spoken to you for like 20, 30 minutes, that you're like, your passion for whiskey in the industry yeah. is, it like really just shines through. And, and you just saying that, I can kind of see if I was fortunate enough to say I'm an investor, I'm mm -hmm. not. But yeah, that that is quite evident. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I think you know, for uh, certainly for for Claire and I and the whole team that works for us, that you know, that kind of that sense of passion about what we're doing, uh, you know, and also keeping things grounded is mm. uh, you know, it's kind of I suppose I think key to our kind of culture. Um, but yeah, with the with the fundraising, you know, there are things you can do to try and you know help yourself. So I'd worked for twenty years in various different. Um, kind of walks of life but mainly in finance but you kind of go through your you know list of friends and family and people you've worked with and think well who might be interested in this kind of investment mm. I mean a whiskey distiller is quite high risk right so yeah. you think well if it's you know if it's someone who you know to have a low risk appetite who is suspect they've got a low risk appetite well probably don't ask them um, but we, we or I approached 18 people uh, in the first instance and 16 said yes amazing um, so and and then it was really scary because then we thought okay we gotta make it, it happen yeah now um you know it's no longer an idea that we can just kind of kick the can down the road for a while people want to invest so having the the necessary funding or what we thought was necessary funding you know is no longer an excuse for not moving ahead we, you know, we've got it um, but it was, yeah, and those investors have been kind of fundamental to where we've been able to get to today. Uh, you know, in terms of um, a return, there's no get-rich-quick scheme with making whiskey. Uh, so they, the, the first money we raised was in August 2016, mm. uh, and they've been amazingly supportive. Um, and, yeah, the, the, the kind of people that you, that certainly we feel we, you know, we want involved in our business. Um, they, must, think, they must be pleased with where it's at now though it looks like you're in a, a healthy position like you've produced your first batches and that seems to have been really well received you know the the brand and the identity that you're putting out is incredibly strong and uh, you know well thought out and it, it looks like you're building something that's you know really positive and yeah and it's, no, it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction I suppose. yeah thank you be I, I think that's true uh, 22 2022 for us was a, a great success on you know many levels you you, know, you mentioned some of them you know the whiskey's had some great feedback 
the kind of packaging and branding, you know, is I think is really well kind of anchored and supports everything that we're doing. Um, and we feel like we're we're well positioned for for the long term, which you know you're constantly having to think about in the in the whiskey market. Um, and also, you know, we mentioned kind of where we're located, but the you know we're in a former wireworks operated for 120 years used to export its products all over the world, you know, Cincinnati, Niagara, uh, down to Africa. And they made really good products. They made them the proper way and the business was successful for many, many years. And that kind of informs a lot about how we feel about our business. There's this kind of almost legacy that we yeah. feel like we want to live up yeah. to, but also extend. And I think also Claire and I certainly think about all the key decisions we're making in the sense that, you know, when we're gone, you know, what will people think about this whiskey distillery that we started? And that's important to us. Um, and because it's important to us, it's important for the whole of our team as well. And so there's a sense in our minds in which we're building something that's mm -hmm. kind of, hopefully is gonna be, uh, you know, a, a sort of destination for whiskey in Derbyshire for decades to yeah. come. Um, and that, that kind of makes you think long term, and I think those yeah. are good decisions. It's a really, um, like for us, it's really reassuring to hear that, isn't it? I know we're in different industries and fields, you know, whiskey making and a podcast, but we've, you know, before we started recording, you asked us, so what's the kind of, how do you monetize this? And we're like, well, at the moment, uh, <laughs> it doesn't make any money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, again, it kind of, it brings us back to like what our core value is. Yeah. Your core value is to produce, you know, a, a really, impactful whiskey that's going to last generations and and we're not doing that but we're we're trying to bring value to an audience and and grow that yeah. and, and the whole idea of playing the long game yeah and, that, that's, and that's, that's that's kind of where i was going to get to it's it's that isn't it it's you know it's that people want instant success they want that you know quick fix and actually sometimes we we're all guilty of kind of falling into that trap yeah. and thinking that that's yeah. the case and yeah, I think what you tend to see in the press is it's self-selecting. You know, those people that have made a lot of money very, very quickly are the ones that hit the headlines. You know, the 99.9% the .9 of people who are, you know, grafting hard at something they believe in don't necessarily hit those headlines, mm. uh, but have got, you know, nonetheless very worthy businesses. And I think, yeah, we've always had a strong sense in what we're trying to uh, sort of build and develop uh, long-term. Um, and it's... You know, you can get kind of pulled off to different sides. So, for example, we make a, a a nice gin, we make a nice rum. We've had lots of people ask us over the years whether we'll make gin for them. Yeah, the gin's incredible. Yeah, I mean, gin was a huge it's, wave that I yeah. think has now crested. Uh, but the the volume of gin brands out there is enormous, so it's a very competitive market. And at least half the gin brands don't make their own gin. So it's been, you know, <laughs> manufactured by someone else centrally. They're sticking their label on it. That's it. And then what a for scam. them, it's <laughs> <laughs> really that happens. So they're, they're not no, that, making that it. That happens. With... Wow. It didn't happen. It happens. Um, but, the, you know, there's lots of and I, there's no naming names here, but. Oh, you can name names. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call the bastards out. <laughs> But, you know, lots of consumers, you know, perhaps won't care. I mean, if they like the product, then yeah. that's the key thing. And I think that's true. Uh, but for us, we want to establish this uh, destination for craft spirits, for whiskey in particular. We're passionate about what we're doing. And actually, we're not interested in making spirits for the people. 
and that's probably meant that we've turned down some yeah. you know some fee earning business over the years uh, but that's not what we want to be known for in the long run um, and so at the time it you kind of think oh crikey there's a you know there's a few pounds shilling and pence we can earn over mm -hmm. there uh, but actually if you're thinking long term you just think well it doesn't really fit with with our brand and where we want to be so the answer is no but let's move on with our own stuff wow wow that's Right in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the assurance of really knowing your vision and really sticking to it and, and being assertive confidence about it. Confidence or naivety? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite, it's definitely confidence. It's definitely confidence. Definitely confidence. It's great. It is really, it's really reassuring to hear. I don't think you get much more long term, do you, than. You know, I think it's the same with, with you guys, right? You, you know, it's not easy when you start in this kind of business. So you've got to believe in what you're doing. And if, yeah. if, you, know, if you two don't believe in what you're doing, then you're kind of doomed. Yeah. You've, He's going to oh, believe sure. it for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it, you know, it, to some extent it becomes, you know, self-selecting in that they're good brands and good businesses, whatever walk of life they're in. And they may be, you know, they may be off the scale in terms of financial success. They may not be, uh, you know, it depends how important that is to you. But fundamentally, I think if you don't really believe in a passion about what you're doing, yeah. then you're destined to be average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you touched on your sort of branding and identity a little bit ago, and, and I've got a question from a, a, a listener, actually. Um, what's the best um, design agency in Derby? And that's from, um, that's from Will Hives of Design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other design agencies are available. <laughs> now, look, we were delighted to find Will uh, early on, uh, you know, through some contacts we had. And I think we've, uh, you know, we continue to work with, yeah. with Alt Design. But they, um, something very kind of simple, what we thought was simple in the early days, sort of will help to open our eyes up to, um, you know, giving thought to, you know, the brand positioning and therefore, you know, what do you want people to think about your business, your brand, when they may just see your logo for mm -hmm. yeah. 10 seconds? Um, so yeah, we've worked with Alt a long time, um, and certainly in those in those very early days, um, yeah, they they helped us with you know a, a, an enormous number of things to kind of yeah, get going. They've done a great job. They've done a great job with the branding. Like I think you talked to you said to me earlier before Max even got here about how um, how the like the labelling looks and how striking it is. I was like, oh, that's my yeah. my mate Will does that. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, they've they've just, they've just and, and and I think also for us the fact that. that we, we try to work with as many local, you know, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. it. You know, businesses, be them suppliers, customers, collaborators, as we can. Um, the distillery, you know, when you when you come down and have a look around, there's a whole load of impressive stainless steel tanks and various bits of other equipment. All that stainless steel was fabricated in Derbyshire. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and for us, that was really important. So if we can find good people that we think have got a you know a good alignment, understanding of what we want to achieve locally yeah. then that's always going to be our preference um and the same with collaborations and we work really closely for example with thornbridge brewery up in bakewell that's it Jaipur, they, isn't it yeah, yeah. Well, yeah yeah exactly right so they make this they've been making this award-winning ipa for 17 years maybe even longer now um and every week we go to thornbridge and uh we that they crop some of their spent brewer's yeast and we take it away we stick it in a fridge in the distillery uh, and every drop of whiskey we've ever made has been made using some of this yeast from Thornbridge Brewery. So the, the, that provides a really nice connection for us yeah. about 
what it means to make a whiskey in Derbyshire. You know, at a tangible level, what does it mean? Well, it means we're working with this great Derbyshire-based brewery just 15 miles up the road from us. Um, and it also creates, um, it, it starts to create a bit more of a, a kind of heritage and uh, history that we can talk about. Because until we arrived, there's been no heritage of making whiskey in Derbyshire in the Peak District, but there's hundreds of years of heritage of beer making. And so we've created this link, which I think starts to, again, underpin hopefully part of our kind yeah. of brand ethos yeah. uh, for, for being a Derbyshire-based distillery um, and focusing on that kind Keep of long term. Keep to him. I'm working That's on it. it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he comes up from Peterborough every time. I'm like, mate, you just need to get, you just need to come and live up here. It's so much easier. Don't know if you know, but Derbyshire has like the highest concentration of microbreweries, doesn't it, in, in, the, in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think you might be right, Sam. That statistic, sadly, is changing, you know, a lot all the time and not always in a positive way just because of the, yeah, the whole kind of cost environment that mm -hmm. businesses, but brewers in particular, are facing. Yeah. yeah, it's just great to hear that you you know collaborating with local local businesses yeah, and it. supporting supporting other other businesses that you know um, are, are helping you in turn as well. And I just I love I love that point that you made about having the heritage. Like yeah, it's it made me kind of in my head go yeah. How do you bring heritage into a brand that's just started? Yeah, like where do you, like where have yeah, you bought yeah. that from? And obviously like the the, the connection obviously is the Y works, isn't yeah. it? And the, and and looking at that industry that's yeah, and that that. That backstory, it just feeds into uh, our kind of brand and ethos in so many different ways, but at a kind of superficial level, you know, you'll see it in our packaging. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see it in the in our glass bottle, which we've had. Which is know, beautiful, by the way. Yeah, and it, thank you. Uh, absolutely incredible. And it makes sense now. And the whole zigzagging with the whole wire. Yeah, yeah it's a metaphor for a cable unwinding, yeah. um, which... For those people that never visit a distillery, they can at least start to make that connection if they understand our backstory. Um, I mean, that project, that was a 15-month project that uh, my wife Claire ran with, but, but we just kind of knew what the value of that was going to be long term. Um, and so, yeah, that, that whole heritage piece is, well, we've, we've got a three-word lockup around our brand, which is you know, heritage, provenance, flavor. And that, those are kind of the kind of key pillars that inform pretty much most of our decisions. Um, and yeah, heritage, you know, established in 2016 doesn't kind of necessarily, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, help you get there. So we don't have that anywhere, but the, the kind of backstory of the wire works and how it kind of informs the way we think about what we're doing is super important. Yeah. Oh, that's you, clever you marketing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's genius <laughs> because you could have moved into a you know an industrial yeah. site that's purpose built and brand new and yeah. and it would have gone against everything that you're kind of trying to, trying yeah. to build. Yeah, it? yeah. And the other, and I've spoken about this before, but the, the other kind of obvious maybe line to go down with branding is, you know, Derbyshire is a beautiful county. Um, you know, it's known for obviously the peaks, kind of rolling hills, rivers, you know, wonderful landscape. You sold yet. <laughs> <laughs> so much better than Peterborough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th that would have kind of been like an obvious route to go down in terms of, you know, branding and yeah. just aesthetics. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought long and hard about that, but that wasn't going to provide us with a kind of unique backstory uh, because there's lots of nice hills and rivers and lakes all over the United Kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, so that of itself, you know, ceases to be a kind of unique reference point. 
Um, but that was a tussle for us because the reason we've set this business up in Derbyshire is because we love this county. Um, but, you know, f focusing the brand around Kinder Scout or Mam Tor, um, just did, for us didn't feel like the right thing to do. Yeah. So, the, so the site and the unit that you currently kind of reside in, was that, was that like a, a fortunate decision? Like, or, or was it part of the, the process that, you, that took you, like the wire works and the connection to that, was that just something that you were like, oh my Lord, this is all just kind of falling into place. And actually we have this wonderful connection here. Or yeah, so it, uh, I think a bit, like, a bit of both. you know, a bit of both. Um, sometimes you need a bit of luck. Sometimes you create your own yeah. luck. Um, as it turns out, uh, from a former life, I knew a little bit about that site. I used to mountain bike in the woods behind yeah, in the early same. 90s. Uh, so Shining Cliff Woods. Yeah. And so one of the th one, we had kind of three, you know, criteria when we're looking for a site. We, we wanted a site that was on a river, and that was just a sense of romance about where you should find a whiskey distillery. Um, we wanted a site that was a reasonable commute, so not as far as Peterborough. <laughs> um, and then also we wanted to find, try and find a building that had some personality and some history. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so when you've got those criteria, actually there aren't that many rivers in Derbyshire. So then, you know, that kind of cuts things down a bit. And if you start kind of Google earthing around a bit, you'll find, you know, some old buildings that are perhaps unused that might have, you know, might be the right space for the distillery. But then I just thought, yeah, that place I used to kind of cycle behind yeah. in Shining Cliff Woods, uh, that, that's got all of those things and it's only just up the road in Ambergate. It's cheeky around the back of there. Yeah. <laughs> some, there's some little climbs up there. Yeah, definitely. there are. But so we, we, we went, we, I contacted the landlord, Claire and I went down in February 2016 and as soon as we walked through the door of the space we're now in, I mean, it was a mess. It was basically full of uh, just industrial bric-a-brac that had been left behind when the wireworks closed in the mid-90s. Uh, but it just felt like the right place yeah. for a distillery. And then over time, once we built the distillery and we started to dig under the skin of the wireworks and its place in the community and all of its history and the kind of products they'd made and the kind of global impact they'd had, yeah, that was a bit more of wow. There's you know there's a lot more to this place and just kind of ticking those you know three criteria about mm -hmm. on a river you know lovely building <laughs> yeah. near home. Um, so that's kind of developed over time. That's incredible. Um, do you want me to pull it right move on no. your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving, I'm moving, okay? <laughs> Zion, <laughs> pack your bags. Um, I guess the, the warehouse itself, it's it's huge. So to for, for anyone that is sort of like, first of all, everybody should just Google it to see where you guys are situated because it's beautiful. But it's, it's a feat. It's massive, really. So... You can't do it alone. You had to bring staff in. And how has that evolved over the last few years, really, in terms of like interesting people, the values and, and just instilling that into them, really, to really... Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I don't think there's any kind of roadmap for that. I, I guess um, we have a kind of sense of what, you know, we're like as individuals. I'm talking about, you know, Claire and I in the first instance and what and what we felt about the brand. And I think... Generally speaking, as we've built the team out, and there's 12 of us now, uh, I think we've tried to find people that are kind of on board, you know, to the extent they can be when they're not 
part of the team mm. um, with with the vision, you know, they're, they're passionate about what we're doing. They feel enthusiastic about what we're doing. Um, and and some of them have brought some um, some outside sort of experience to the table as well. But I'd say by and large, the more important piece is, you know, are they kind of really on board with what we're doing? And, um, you know, some of the more kind of technical stuff, mm -hmm. um, they can kind of pick up, you know, on the job. So does, to anyone, speak. does anyone work for you that doesn't like whiskey? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so and there's a there's a couple of people that work for us for whom that you know they're kind of starting out on their whiskey journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's I, exciting yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of like, I let people rephrase that, that question. It's not that you don't like whiskey; you've just not find a whiskey that you like. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's hundreds of whiskies out there. So, yeah. um, but they definitely get some of those people get more intrigued in what we're doing, and they. They see how other people, our customers, our followers enjoy what we're doing mm -hmm. and enjoy drinking the whiskey. And I think, you know, slowly. So do, I do think if somebody starts their first whiskey experience with trying one of those, I, I kind of say TCP, like the really medicinal, yeah. you're going to be shocked. But yeah. it's going to be like, well, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Because that's like, you have to build up to that. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there are certainly other, other whiskeys out there that, that are a lot softer on the palate. Yeah. I mean, our whiskey, we've tried to think about it in terms of it being approachable. And so having appeal to a broad church, let's say, um, those yeah, heavily peated Isla whiskies, um, you know, I, I love a drop of that stuff. Uh, but you are, to some extent, kind of, you know, starting to segment or narrow mm. your potential customer base because it's a bit more of an extreme You're striking taste. that balance, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're not producing a JD. No. You want something that's got... <laughs> substance to it yeah and, and people are going to be like oh yeah this is this yeah. is something else yeah, yeah you, you want something that's you know got that flavor that we're yeah. looking for but yeah we're not looking for it to be mass market so no. um it hasn't got to appeal to yeah. absolutely all of the masses what um over so over the last sort of five six years is there anything that's really stood out that surprised you about setting up a distillery is there anything that's kind of caught you a bit off guard shocked you or that's been like a shit this is this is hard Challenges. yeah like yeah. a real challenge <laughs> I mean, one of the early shocks. Uh, I mean, look, we're we're still we're still living with lots of those challenges. Mm. Um, I think for any business, when you're in those early years, there's always a few potholes, and it's how you kind of navigate them. I think once you've navigated a few potholes and not shredded all your tires, you start to think, well, you know, just bring it on. We'll we'll deal with the next problem when it arrives. Um, but one of the early the early surprises that we had was. Um, that HMRC obviously have to give you, uh, you know, the, the operating license uh, to make spirits uh, before you can start. Um, but one thing that was a surprise to me is that they won't entertain your application until you've built the distillery. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, hold on a second. So hold you have to spend a good, I don't know, how many millions? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> so you're kind of all in, and then you put your application in for your distilling license. Now, those, if you're with hindsight, you can say there's only limited grounds on which they can refuse, but there are grounds. Um, but one of the principal reasons for for them having that process, I think, is because some of the criteria are kind of qualitative. Mm. Um, it, are the people behind it fit and proper people, um, i.e are they the kind of people that we feel comfortable will be eventually collecting alcohol duty payments on mm. our behalf and handing them over to us? Um, so are they fit and proper and are they 
are they in this for the long term? And I think there's no better way of making that assessment yeah, than true. walking into a distillery yeah. saying, okay, yeah, I yeah. can see what you've spent here. Yeah, it's yeah. a good filtering process, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's, it's not, the same with us, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's not yeah. something that just looks good on social media, but actually yeah. it's in the corner of a car park and could get dismantled yeah. in six months' time. And then, so... So that was a. They've seen the, they've seen the commitment, haven't they? First yeah, they've seen the commitment. But that for certainly for us, you know, we've only ever built one distillery, um, and don't intend to build another one. So we've not been that through that process before. But that was a, yeah, that was a kind of a, a, a period of time where there was a you know fairly high levels of anxiety. It's, just, it's making that commitment, isn't yeah. it? And and not knowing. Yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't get any bigger than that. No, I I think yeah, kind of understanding you know what their criteria are and just you know giving them all the reasons to say yes yeah <laughs> they said yes anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but then but you know but since then you know we the 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 derwent valley was badly flooded in november 2019 so the the main bridge that you have to cross over on our site so it's a it's it's not in the it, it's not on the public highway but you've got to drive your car over it was taken out by a load of kind of flotsam debris that came yeah. down with these swelled well, river levels here on the, yeah on the in, in the mills so so we lost our bridge very much like you for 15 yeah. months. So you could not, as a consumer or as a visitor or a follower, drive around the distillery shop. Like, so, I'm getting my mountain bike out. Yeah. <laughs> Going around the back. So, so that happened and then it got repaired in February 2020. And March 2020, we all know what happened. Wow. So, uh, you know, in terms of challenges, you know, some of them have been those external factors that you can never predict. Um, but yeah, you've got to adapt and pivot and, you know, kind of don't stick your head in the sand, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Uh, I think you've built something absolutely incredible. It's it's beautiful to see. And um, I was watching a video of Dave yeah. e explaining the process of how the distillery works and everything else. I'm like, I'm getting into this. <laughs> I'm really liking this. So is that, do you do that for for? Can anybody walk into the distillery and learn more about whiskey making? Yeah, I mean, so we, we've got a sort of an open door type policy. And if if people turn up and they're enthusiastic about whiskey making, we're always going to have a conversation with them. We do try and at the end of the day, we've got whiskey to make. So what we do is we put on uh, distillery tours, um, bookable on our website. So, But on a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday, you can book on a tour and you can talk to Dave. Uh, and it's one of the things that we've deliberately done from the get-go is involve the distillers or the people that are making the the whiskey uh, in the in the kind of visitor experience in the tour process. Um, it it kind of would have been easy for us as a business to find someone to be, let's say, a tour guide. Uh, but our experience of that kind of setup when we've been to see it is that you don't necessarily get the kind of passion and product That's knowledge it. coming through. Um, so all of our distillery uh, tours and all of our visitors, um, they will get to hear from someone that's involved in the whiskey making process. And if you look at our TripAdvisor reviews, that that sense of passion, we've used this word a few times yeah. today, it just comes across in like nine out yeah. of 10 reviews. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of that deliberate decision to involve the makers in that kind of visitor process. I was watching a video and I felt fascinated by it. And never mind being there. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it'll be absolutely amazing to really just go through the process of it all really. Yeah, and it, it, we enjoy doing it as well because 
people are interested in what we're doing. So then that kind of makes you more enthusiastic about what you're doing. Um, I mean, our Saturday tours, I think they're largely sold out until middle of the year. So we're just about to add a new tour. It's called a warehouse tour. And this is people that are really interested in their whiskey. And we go and sit in a warehouse. We draw some samples straight from the cask. So you're drinking cask strength with whiskey. And you'll be talking to either Dave or me or one of our other team called Tom. Uh, enthusiastically about what we're doing, but you're sat amongst all these. You probably wouldn't want to do that during the winter anyway, would you? Really? <laughs> like, they're not heated units, are they? They're not heated units, <laughs> but we we did our we did a trial run with some uh, kind of friends of White Peat Distillery last Saturday. Yeah, and the feedback we've had, even though it was five degrees, has yeah, been absolutely amazing. amazing. But the with these warehouse tours, they're not that common uh, with distilleries. But yeah, there'd be a, a health warning. You know, wear a yeah, thick yeah. coat, basically. Yeah. Um, I had a, a previous couple bought me um, some vouchers for White Peach Three. I think in like twenty twenty one. Are they still valid? I think in your case, Sam, will yeah, yeah we'll make them valid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've still not been down. I keep going. I need to go and get. I need to go and spend those vouchers. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what, what we did was uh, normally these vouchers uh, got a shelf life of a year, but because of the pandemic, yeah, yeah. we kind You've of got... extended it all for yeah. for everybody. We'll do. It. I will come down this spring. I'm gonna I'm gonna come down and have a look. <laughs> Yeah, please do. I mean, and spring actually, when things warm up a bit, yeah, it's a nice time of yeah. year to come down. Can we talk? Can we talk about LinkedIn? Yeah, can we talk about LinkedIn. Are we yeah, going to talk about yeah, LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> so we were chatting before we we came on to record and like looking at um, what to what to ask you. And and one thing that came up, like Igor mentioned about how you know we we, we were talking between us about how we need to integrate LinkedIn into you know our business a bit more and, and what we're trying to do here with the podcast. And I think you'd said that Max has got a very good presence on yeah. on LinkedIn. Um, and it's a world that we're not really kind of too familiar with. I just wondered if you could kind of give us a bit of a, a bit of an insight into how how that plays a role in what you what you do as a, as a yeah. Well, as that's, it's really interesting question, Sam, because I guess of all the the sort of channels that we've got to you know communicate with the wider yeah. world, for which there are many, aren't there? For which there are many, yeah. yeah. And let, let's just say you know social media. Um, I think LinkedIn's the one that. Uh, I still feel least comfortable about the balance between the kind of the real kind of business content, which I think is how it started, mm. um, and a, a little bit more kind of personality that seems mm. to be you know creeping in these days. The way people are using it, um, and I think you get people that kind of support those two different bookends uh, in the use of LinkedIn. Uh, but it still seems to me like it's that, that um, the dust has not yet settled on exactly you know how you should approach LinkedIn. I think w what we tend to do is um, is is celebrate on LinkedIn some of the uh, let's say achievements of the team or uh, collaborations with um, various organisations, uh, mainly regionally that we're working with. Um, but it's a very different look and feel to our Instagram account, to our Facebook account, uh, to our Twitter account. Um, I'm not sure I've got all the right answers. It was an open question, really. I think we, I think me and Igor both kind of feel like it's a bit of an un, untapped, untapped, unknown kind of platform. Um, but I think from our point of view, it feels like a, an obvious direction to move in because yeah. it's you know, what we're trying to do here is very business creative focus. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a world that we don't tend to use much because yeah. we're, our businesses are both very visual. It's always been about Instagram mm -hmm. and yeah. that kind of growth. But actually, yeah, I can kind of start to slowly see the benefit of 
I think for us, we we tended to have more of that kind of, you know, business uh, kind of override when we've thought about LinkedIn. Um, But interestingly, back in the day, when when we were starting up, I went to spend uh, some time in North America, and there's a whole different story on that. But I wanted to get in touch with a guy called Chip Tate, who was a legend oh, yeah. in craft distilling uh, in the states at the time, um, setting up a distillery in Texas. So I contacted Chip through LinkedIn, just one of those you know unsolicited <laughs> yeah. inbound, you know, please connect, and he hit yes. And I was thinking, well, you know, that's why would he do that? Because yeah. I'm this guy that's worked in you know, banking and finance roles. I couldn't be more different from <laughs> yeah. his world, but he hit yes. So then I was able to send in some in-mail and um, I basically chip, I'm thinking about starting my own whiskey distillery in Derbyshire. Could I come and see you? Um, you know, I'd love to just kind of, you know, try and drain a bit of your knowledge over a period of time. Um, and actually, it, there's a whole other story, but Chip said yes. I went and spent a week with him in Texas. Amazing. And it was, it was fundamental to when I got home, that's when we made the decision that we were going to do this. Um, but yeah, it all started using yeah. LinkedIn. That's amazing, it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just reaching and it, out to that guy and yeah. just saying. And just to give it a bit of perspective as well. Chip Tate, he's he's huge in, 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 in that aspect, really, with Tate & Co and everything else that he does. So, yeah, I mean, he, so he, he, for him to be able to give his time of day to you, that, yeah. it's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's a very generous guy. He's also a, you know, a, he's a, he's a maverick. But the, the reason was in, in sort of 2015, when I was kind of starting to just do more and more research into the world of craft whiskey and craft distilling, um, one decision I made very explicitly early on was, I, was, I wasn't going to go to, um, you know, establish, let's say, uh, UK producers of whiskey, which, you know, essentially is Scotland, to get all of my advice and input, because there was a real danger then that we'd end up building a Scottish Something here in England. similar yeah. to, yeah. Uh, and uh, I just thought that'd be, a, a, a huge mistake, because the Scots are very good at making Scotch whiskey, yeah. but be an opportunity lost. So when I was doing research, I started to look to North America that had this really high growth craft mm. distilling market and yeah whenever you were looking into craft whiskey in the states chip's name just yeah. kept pinging up all the time uh so that's kind of that's why i reached out to him i just thought well look let's start at the top and see i think if we... it just goes to show doesn't it like sometimes you've just got to ask and reach out and yeah and as long as you're coming from a genuine humble place that yeah yeah you know, if someone's want to help you they're gonna they're gonna want to help you yeah i mean l- literally i i kind of Chip said, "Yeah, yeah, come over." So uh, I said, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in in January uh, 2016." Yeah, that's fine. So then I called him back. I booked my flights, Chip. I'm, I'm really coming. Yeah, yeah, fine. We've got you down, Max, for that week. Yeah. And then like the week before, I got back in touch with him and I said, "Chip, I am really coming. You know, next <laughs> week I'm really coming." He said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "It's fine, Max." He said, "And actually, um, you know, I've I've spoken to my wife and come and stay with us." So he originally had given me the recommendation for a hotel hotels not far and, from the yeah. distillery. So I actually spent uh, five days and five nights with Chip, literally, uh, you know, except when we were sleeping, you know, day in, day out. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, just keeping it honest, he was in the throes of setting up his second distillery. One of the things about Chip, he doesn't trust many other people, so he has to do everything himself, which could be, you know, can be a bit of a shortcoming. But he was welding his own copper stills. So most of the time I was there in the day, I was holding welding rods for him. <laughs> and then we were having a discussion, you know, in between that oxyacetylene yeah, burner kind of noise. It. 
So, um, wow. but it's a fabulous, I mean, Chip was so generous and yeah, it just gave me a sense in which, yeah, you can really do this, Max. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, here's some things I've learned that you might want to sort of think about. Wow. Incredible story. It's, Incredible it's story. It's just great to hear, yeah. isn't it? It is. I think. So what's, yeah. the, what's the future looking like for White Peak in general now? Um, now that you, yeah, last year you, you threw out your first small batch. And yeah, what's the future looking like? Yeah, I mean, it, last year was a really good year for us. You know, we mentioned it before, to some extent, a hard act to follow. Um, but generally, I think, you know, those that, that kind of long-termism we were talking about, I think, you know, hopefully we've done um, a lot of things, you know, in the right way to, to build the business and build the brand. I mean, we've certainly made some mistakes along the way, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think we're really kind of well-positioned for our sort of longer term aspirations, which include having more overseas export markets, include uh, building our business here domestically. Well, we've got trade partners now or stockists from Falmouth in Cornwall, all the way up to Persia in Scotland, uh, but there's still much more we can do. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, that kind of, that those growth targets, you know, look achievable on the back of what we did Time frame is always a difficult one to call. Mm, um, mm. You know, where are we going to be in the next three, five, ten years? That, that's more difficult. It might take, you know, six, seven, twelve, fifteen years. We don't really know. But I think uh, we'll carry on kind of focusing on what we think is important. Um, but within that, we do want to start developing what I would call some core releases. So last year we did eight limited edition releases, all really well received. Um, but as we start to kind of mature a little bit as a company, um, I think what we need to be able to offer people is, let's say, a, a core bottling that you can always come and get from White Peat Distillery, whether yeah. it's you know middle of January or middle of November. Um, and it also helps with some of our trade partners. Some of them are quite big uh, businesses of themselves. And I think they need to be able to educate their own yeah. followers and consumers about our products. And that's quite difficult to do if everything they get from us is a new limited edition release that isn't mm -hmm. the same as the last one. Uh, so kind of trying to build up that, um, at least a base of core products, and then overlay that with all the, the kind of interesting limited edition yeah. releases that yeah. you know, continue to excite us, really. Yeah, it, it, just, it all sounds very exciting. I know you, you touched on that point of like trying to follow on from a, what was a really successful and good year, but you know, I, I don't see why that doesn't, you know, you, you can't go on and have other successful years that are going to be bigger and better than that you just yeah. we just don't know do we no you know but you're doing all of the right things and, and yeah putting the right measures in place to i think so i think to, the, to grow the business yeah i think part of it is um you just don't expect it to happen mm. you know you've still got to make it happen yeah um and you know you, you wouldn't want your first year to be not be successful you know in our first year of selling whiskey the fact it was successful is exactly what we wanted to happen yeah. so yeah you know there's no sense in which you know that was a that's kind of a, a negative for the future um completely the opposite but it you, you start to feel a little bit of the, the, i guess the the sense in which you know there's an expectation here for the business yeah. going it's forward gonna, it's gonna be different isn't it yeah it's gonna be different um there's have you got any other questions you want to ask no should i ask the last question yes <laughs> so i was gonna so i don't, I don't know if you i don't know if you've listened to to what we've done before but we always like to sort of wrap up the episode by asking our, our guests um if they could rewind the clock and if they could go back to the 14 15 year old version of themselves what would be the 
the overarching piece of advice you'd give to a 15-year-old Max? Yeah, I think um, the, probably the advice I would give would be to um, just think about life in a maybe a different way from, let's say, the you know the academic and educational focus, which is necessarily you know a big part of you know what you're experiencing at that time in your life. But um, you know perhaps you know what is it I think I might want to do when you know, I'm in my mid twenties, which seems like a you know an age away at that point. Um, and lots of people won't know, and I'm not sure I did. But I don't think I really started to think about what I wanted to do until I'd come out the back of what I'd probably unfairly describe as a bit of a cookie cutter. Um, you know, at the time it was O-levels, not GCSEs, and I'm just yeah. showing my age now, but that kind of lent itself on to doing A-levels, which lent itself on to going to university. And I don't think I necessarily paused for breath to say, you know, these are quite important life decisions here. Are they right for me? Um, and so we certainly try and encourage that with our children. Um, from the sense of, yeah, we've now had some of this experience um, we like to have those conversations with them. And, uh, you know, and also a sense in if you are interested in something, grasp out for it, you know, yeah. give it a go. Um, there's actually no better time in many ways uh, to try things when you're younger. And, yeah. you know, you've got less kind of, you know, kind of packaging that you're carrying um and so it gives you you know a little bit more kind of flexibility about trying things um so yeah i think just to have a bit of a longer term you know pause for reflection if you can i know that's not a typical thing for teenagers to do uh but i was just you know, gonna say how's that conversation going with teenagers Thomas? yeah well Look, i think your dad, your dad knows a thing or two yeah um, <laughs> you might want to listen to me yeah i mean i think it's just yeah it, it's having the conversation isn't yeah. it and uh, you know however you whatever's the right moment for do that yeah you know, might be walking the dog as opposed yeah, to it when you get back right let's sit down yeah, yeah, that's that's it. It. Yeah. it's, it's got to be normal it's got to be repetition really but yeah because yeah, I, th I think there's you know there's different walks in life um and sometimes i mean it's a it's a poem we won't even go there but there's a phrase you know the road less traveled is actually often an interesting road and it doesn't mean that you have to stick on it for life but you know try it you yeah. might like yeah. it yeah it's really good great way to wrap it up yeah max you've been absolutely incredible um my my brain is kind of like buzzing a little bit just to kind of like yeah just just hear just hearing it's I found it really reassuring yeah to hear you talk openly about playing the long game and 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 not going for that instant fix and being able to kind of say no to what might be a, a short term bit of income you know it's really really positive to hear yeah um, so thank you very much for you thanks for your time thanks for you know sharing your story thank yeah. you for trying to convince Igor to move to Star <laughs> uh, we'll get we're getting there um, yeah. no, well, thank you guys as well I appreciate the the invite to talk on your podcast and yeah hopefully you know connect with with some of your followers and yeah it's been a it's been a really great chat we'll share this one out on LinkedIn aren't we <laughs> a bit more yeah and look I, I never tire of talking about you know my business I'm sure you're the same with yours so yeah um, yeah it's been a pleasure to be thank here thank you thank you Great stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Can guys. Yeah. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.